0: Hello, everyone. I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis.
1: What makes a great leader? Is it genetic or can you learn leadership skills? Join Tom Fox and Richard Lummis in this podcast, where they consider leadership from a wide variety of perspectives, academic, behavioral science, history, popular culture, the movies, and much more you'll learn about specific tactics and strategies that you can bring to your own leadership toolkit. 12 O'Clock High is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Richard Lummis is back and he and I take up the topic of crucibles of leadership. What are some of the lessons learned from top businessmen when they had very difficult uh, situations arise and how did they move forward after that? It's a fascinating study that I know you will enjoy. Thanks for listening.
0: Hello, this is Richard Lummis. I'm here with Tom Fox for another episode of 12 O'Clock High, podcast about leadership. In these discussions, we draw what we hope are interesting examples from our own experiences, history, business, literature, and politics, to examine what constitutes good leadership practices and extract lessons we can use to improve our own leadership skills. Welcome back, Tom. Uh, Today, we're going to discuss an article from the September 2002 Harvard Business Review by uh, Warren G. Bennis and Robert J. Thomas, titled Crucibles of Leadership. Uh, Bennis, the lead author, was born in 1925, and his middle name is Gamaliel, after President Harding. He won the Purple Heart and Bronze Star as an infantry officer in Europe during World War II. He's one of the pioneers of leadership studies, first at MIT and later at the University of Southern California, and published 27 books over a lengthy career. His work at MIT in the 1960s on group behavior foreshadowed and helped bring about today's headlong plunge into less hierarchical, more democratic and adaptive institutions. Private and public management expert Tom Peters wrote in his foreword to Bennis's uh, Invented Life, Reflections on Leadership and Change. Uh, This article uh, describes a number of pivotal moments in the careers of different leaders. Tom, you want to tell us what you think the author means by the term crucible and how it can help us become better leaders?
1: Sure. Well, the, as they define, or I think they define it, it's when a leader uh, has a severe test or trial. Uh, and in thinking about that, I'm, I'm not quite sure that really gets to it because I know both of us, and knowing your backstory a little bit, I know you and you know me that have both had these trials. Um, but I haven't, I would never have seen them as crucibles. What I will say is that in some of the difficult situations I've faced as a, uh, professional, I have learned from those experiences and has made me, uh, in one case a, a better law, better lawyers or a better lawyer. And it's another case, uh, you know, I think a better, uh, uh, person working in the field I'm in. So I'm, I'm not quite sure, uh, uh, I went fully with that, but, um, it's uh, they, they give some examples that we're going to get into of leaders who face severe tests and it made them stronger. And I certainly agree with that. And the uh, my professional experience was that the three or four most difficult people I worked for, I also learned the most from. It, it wasn't a, a crucible uh, in terms of a severe test. It was constant tests uh, because it was constantly difficult, but they were constantly demanding that I improve, do better, uh, even if it was to, to satisfy their own egos. Nevertheless, uh, I did learn a lot. It, it made me pay attention to details in ways that uh, I had not in, done before. And so um, I found when I talked to people about their experiences as having worked for difficult people, um most people seem to feel like they received a large number of professional learning experiences from difficult people. And I read about people like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or some of the titans of industry. And obviously, I don't work for them, so I don't have a crucible experience from them. But um, I do learn from them. And and when you look at um, Steve Jobs and the creation of the iPhone and his extraordinary attention to detail, Uh, He apparently was a very difficult person to work for. And uh, they talk about bending air, and he could literally bend air around him to get what he wanted. Um, I read that as in large part as demanding not just excellence, not just perfection, uh, not just the best you can be, but the absolute best. And that uh, it it may or may not be perfection, but his his requirements around the the shape of the iPhone – how it felt in the hand, the experience of looking at a screen, even at a five inch screen, the one we all started with, uh, that he designed. Um, uh, uh, I found that I got a lot of lessons from those. And, and to this day, when I, uh, try to create something along, like a podcast or, or something else, I, I, really pay attention to those details. And that comes directly from, uh, reading about Steve jobs and the, the kind of leader and, he was and how he put people through those tests. So uh, I guess I found it um, maybe because of his experience as a soldier, uh, tested literally in the fires of battle. Uh, Maybe he saw things in a little more dramatic terms, but I see it more as a kind of a continuum of of professional learning. Um, Hopefully for our listeners, it can be things like listening to this podcast. But um, I guess uh, knowing a little bit about your professional experience, what would what would you what are your thoughts on that
0: well i i agree with you that the uh some of the most formative experiences have come from demanding mentors and um demanding is uh, a kind word for the for some of them um <laughs> but the uh and and you're right i i didn't Think about it that way, but it wasn't so much a crucible as a longer-term exposure to um, to requests for uh, excellence or, or demands for excellence. And you're right. It wasn't until I read Bennis's biography that they made sense to me that he would have talked about it as a defining crucible. And, of course, it also explains his lifelong interest in how to create better leaders. Um, certainly being a young infantry officer in World War II with, um was one way to to do it, but a lot of people died unnecessarily doing it. Um, we try to avoid that in business of course, but
1: i guess uh one other thing is um I have had business failures, and um not particularly proud of that, but uh, they were they were learning experiences, but even those richard um, which were severe, they were emotionally traumatic uh, I'm not sure that I was able to take away lessons that um uh, other than don't do stupid stuff in business, uh, <laughs> don't make investments uh, when, uh, you know, never buy a travel agency three weeks after the worst terrorist attack in the history of the world kind of lessons. Um, that was, uh, uh, I'm not sure that would qualify uh, as, a, as a crucible leadership lesson learned. So um, I'm, I'm like you, I see it as, as a uh, really a continuum of, of your, and I really like your phrase of challenging mentors. Uh, Over the years. Well,
0: I I would take slight exception to that because one of the things that they do talk about is the ability to uh, transcend failure. And all these people had failures at one point or another. And they displayed a characteristic they call hardiness. And I usually think about it in the more negative term of brittleness. And um, there, there are a lot of people who failure... Breaks, basically. Um, you look at someone like Steve Jobs, he's the exact opposite. He failed over and over and over again, um, but then uh, then triumphed in the end. But there are a lot of people who just who do, who lack that essential quality of hardiness. And um, I'm, I'm sorry they didn't do more about how to develop that particular uh, aspect to your personality. Perhaps we can do that in a subsequent podcast.
1: Richard, uh, the article did, of course, have some what I would call case studies, but really stories about— leaders who faced crucible moments. And once again, I'm not sure crucible would be the word I would use, but they were certainly challenging times, challenging leaders, mentors, or just basic a-holes they were working for. Um, what did you think about the Sydney Har- Harmon story?
0: I thought that was an interesting one. Harmon, in this case, was one of the founders of the Harmon Card uh, audio products company. Um, and at the time of the, his experience, he was also – uh, serving as president of an experimental Quaker college um, in Long Island, that uh, basically was sort of a, a bottom-up idea that the students should be responsible for their education rather than having it imposed on them by the by the professors. But while he was living that what he called a bifurcated life between those two jobs, one of the plants had basically a rebellion. Um, what happened was the, uh, the low paid people doing grunt work were supposed to have a coffee break at a regularly scheduled time, but for some reason the buzzer didn't go off. And so management decided not to allow them to take the coffee break because the buzzer hadn't worked. And one of the guys, most of them were, were blacks and, um, said, uh, finally, uh, he said, I, I ain't working for no buzzer. And he got up and, and took his coffee break, and the rest of the workers followed him. And management apparently responded very badly to that. Um, and so uh, Harmon had to go down and, and pour oil on the waters, basically. And what he basically did was change the structure of the business and create an environment where the workers had far more input um dissent and new ideas were encouraged instead of squashed. And um, it it was really a pioneer uh, moment in participative management techniques, which are now kind of taken for granted. What I thought was also interesting about the way they described this, they didn't even discuss management's role in this. It's as if Harmon came down from above and dealt only with the workers and that fixed the problem. Um, I can't imagine that's all there was to the story. Um, I think that uh, in order to put this in, there had to be some head chopping going on, too. But uh, anyway, that's that's not explicitly addressed in the article.
1: The, the thing that I liked about the story, Richard, was that uh, Harmon used this really, uh, as you said, to create this entire new structure of participatory management. What I found the story lacked, though, was context. Uh, because uh number number one, you're right, the role of management in this was just shockingly bad, but there was no time frame for this story that I recall. <clears throat> the plant was in the south, I think it was Tennessee, nevertheless, uh, the old South, and the rebellion, the rebellion was led, and the rebellion followers were all black. So you've got a plant in the South. Uh Sidney Harmon, uh probably the sixties, maybe the seventies. Uh, if it's the fifties, it makes it even more dramatic. Um, you basically have a, a rebellion of black workers against what's probably an all white management. And, um, I found it, uh, when you, when you look at it in that context, it's probably, uh, completely rational to the management, what they did, uh, based upon who was the, uh, the people in the rebellion. And if that was the situation, it adds a completely new level of nuance and context to what Harmon did, which was, and we don't know whether the plant was unionized or not, probably not in the South, but uh, just the act of the the man, the owner, coming down, sitting down and talking to blacks in the 60s, that was probably close to revolutionary. And uh, I, I wish we would have had a little more context around all of that, but your point on the the role of management in this and just the absolute abysmal lack of any humanity by management. Uh, I I struggled with trying to figure out why on earth they would do that. But, um, and that's why I came up with the scenario I just mentioned, but, um, they really missed, missed out. And, and what kind of leadership training was that management being given? If any, (laughs) I guess they didn't listen to our podcast, but, uh, uh, I really I uh, wish we'd had a little more context on that. Yet, nevertheless, uh, we have a whole new style of management based upon what uh, Sidney Harmon learned in that example.
0: Well, and several of the crucible uh, experiences they discuss involve racism, anti-Semitism, and sexism, um, which remain problems in the workplace, but certainly not to the extent um, they existed at this particular time.
1: Well, and that really leads to one I wanted to, to maybe say a few words on, and that's the Vernon Jordan example. And here he he worked for a gentleman named Robert Maddox. I believe it was in the city of Atlanta, early 60s. And uh, Maddox was, um, it's unclear if he was related to Lester Maddox, but uh, also lack of context. But apparently Robert Maddox was an unremitted racist, uh, clearly part of the Old South, and uh, repeatedly uh, heckled and uh, made racial comments to Jordan. What I really found interesting, though, was, was Jordan's reaction, which had drove him to uh, ach- achieve greatness. Um, and it motivated him, I couldn't really tell, to you know, be the best he could be. Uh, but as I recall, uh, he was the president of the National Urban League. At one point, he was uh, good friends with uh, uh, Jimmy Carter and later Bill Clinton. He was a partner at a prestigious uh, Washington law firm, Akin Gump, Strauss, Howard, and Feld. Uh, he was extraordinarily successful in one of the really earliest examples of black leadership in a profession, in the professions, um, uh, particularly in uh, big law. So um, that one really didn't really resonate with me as a crucible moment uh, because it didn't seem to be a, I I guess I just couldn't really put the two together. Uh, Whatever, was inside Vernon Jordan. He was a driven man, and whatever motivated him, he certainly was highly motivated to achieve what he achieved. Did you really? Uh, how did this one strike you?
0: Well, it, it struck me first of all the the level of achievement Jordan was able to accomplish in his life was was remarkable. I mean, he started out as this guy's chauffeur and waiter, basically. It sounds like, um, but. It was interesting in that he cast it differently, that, this, that Maddox was lashing out at a total loss of power, um, that he could see that he was a dinosaur and on the wrong side of history. And so I think that that showed a confidence and a moral certainty in Jordan that I don't know how you can cultivate it, but it certainly was, was able to carry him through some very hard times. Um, but but that's what I got out of that one was that it was more about Jordan's uh, personality and able to view things uh, differently than uh, than it was really about Maddox's treatment of him.
1: And then uh, Richard, the article ended with uh, four essential leadership skills that the authors uh, really picked up from the, the case studies of the people they they uh, wrote about in this article. And I wanted to go through and, and I list them off, and maybe we could have a little discussion on them. One, engage in shared meaning. This was the Sidney Harmon example where uh, he took a really a new radical approach, but it was by uh, our favorite characteristic of a leader in this entire podcast series, listening. Um, And he diffused a factory crisis and really led the discussion around a new management style to uh, the phrase they use, the distinctive, compelling voice. But I want to change that to really words matter. And... uh, I think they still do matter, and what you say can make a difference at times. And they, they talked about a college president who, um, Jack Coleman, I think at Columbia, who uh, preempted a clash between a football team and anti-war uh, demonstrators who were threatening to burn the American flag. And he did this by persuading uh, both sides to, uh, to stand down and back off. Three is I don't think uh, a value that anyone would disagree with, and that's integrity. Uh, every leader must have integrity; their word must be their bond. And then four is the adaptive capacity. You talked about the hardiness uh, around that, but also um, I really liked the the ability to grasp context. Uh, I would say that's the ability to to listen and change, but it's nevertheless uh, it's weighing of many different factors and. Uh, in this podcast, we we both believe that leadership skills can be taught. The ability to grasp context is, in many ways, something that uh, may be more intuitive. So, um, I guess, what are your thoughts on any of those?
0: Well, I think that the ability to grasp context is is almost a function of empathy, and we'll get into that uh, in a in considerable detail in our next podcast on a, on a different topic. Um, but I think. One of the themes of our podcast has been that you can teach leadership skills. Um, I think you can teach, to a certain extent, um, a heightened level of awareness of context. I think we both know people for whom that would never have worked. But I think people who are are not innately great at this can get better. People who are terrible at it probably are never going to be very good at it. But I think there's a lot of room for improvement for those of us in the middle. Um, just by paying attention.
1: Richard, that seems like a great way uh, to end this particular episode. I I hardly recommend this article from uh, HBR. I'm going to link to it in the show notes, so uh, check it out. And if you're so interested, let us know what you think. You want to take us home, Richard?
0: Well, I, I certainly agree. There was also a, a bizarre little uh, sidebar on this article about the power of neoteny, um, <laughs> which uh, struck me that one of the things that they felt you should cultivate were basically juvenile characteristics of, of openness and curiosity It had nothing to do with the rest of the article. So I'm, I'm not sure why it was in there, but it was just an interesting little sidelight. Um, and we'll discuss some of that also in the next podcast, but I, I also hardly recommend this, this article. I'm inclined to go back and read some of, uh, Bennis's, uh, earlier works, um, as, as you say, they, they may pro- provide a little more context than you can provide in, in an article this short um, regarding the, the social milieu that, that some of these problems came out of. Um, but other than that, uh, for now, this is Richard Lemis and Tom Fox signing off from 12 O'Clock High. We hope you'll join us next time.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. Also, check out the uh, article that the podcast is uh, uh, based upon in the show notes. Please join us again for our next episode where uh, Richard Lummis and I will take another look at leadership. 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio.